Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with today's top marketing leaders to talk about what they really do every day. My guest today is Bill Masaitis. He was a CMO of Slack, a CMO of Zendesk, and SVP of Marketing at Salesforce. All right, Bill, how do you talk about your role today? So you're not in the weeds anymore right now, but you have a little bit of an elevated view. So how do you talk about your role today? Yeah, sure. So I was an operator for 20 years, you know, a CMO, CRO of uh, Slack, Zenda, Salesforce, and I switched over to doing board work now. So I'm a board, either independent member or an advisor for other, you know, ascending SaaS unicorns and decacorns and just try to uh, help them out however I can. Okay, that's a good background. So the next question I ask everybody is, what does your company do? But you just talked about that. Um, (laughs) What's your philosophy on marketing? So the question that I ask CMOs is like, how does marketing fit in the company strategy? So how do you articulate where marketing fits? I think it's really interesting. You know, I was, I was having a discussion with one of the companies I advise and you know, they were, they were growing pretty quickly and trying to figure out, you know, what is the role of marketing? And my take on it kind of going through it a few times is that, especially if you're in B2B SaaS, the software itself is such a unique experience for users and customers that they don't really differentiate the marketing, the sales, the support, it's just everything's in the software, right? And I think historically, marketing has been all about just getting leads and that's usually website and campaigns. But today, it's much more about the experience in the product, you know, and you start getting in all these like PLG type tactics. And it's also more about the experience. So, you know, if I had a philosophy on marketing, like personally, I think it's more about like, how do you evolve to look at that buyer's journey? How do you evolve to think about what is their experience, not just on your ads and on your website, but in the product itself? And how can you make that a better experience? And that could be through a more vivid brand, you know, your actual tone and voice, your visual identity. That could be like thinking about marketing, having different types of metrics than just, you know, leads coming in. That could be about the awareness. It could be about the sentiment. So, I mean, philosophically, I just believe like marketing needs to evolve and modernize around that user journey. And for B2B SaaS, that's in the product itself. The model of the company that I'm at now, Privy, is product-led growth stuff. And it's a lot of fun because it feels like your marketing, it's the closest impact to revenue. I feel like not to take anything away from the enterprise. It's just totally different. It's almost like direct response in a sense from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to me, like product-led growth is not just the product team leading growth. It's the idea of that all the action's happening in the product. And marketing has to get in there. Sales has to get in there. Support has to get in there. Success has to get in there. Personally, if I was using software for the first time, I would love if a live chat opened up, not when I'm buying the product, but when I'm actually in it for the first time and someone said, hey, you know, are you having any trouble? Can I help you walk you through the first couple steps? Like, that would be awesome. Or, you know, if you're in sales, like, why not let someone, you know, upgrade ad agents or even talk to a salesperson right from a product? Or if you're in marketing, you know, make the product fun. Too many B2B SaaS products are so boring and sterile and bland. And it's because marketing's not in there. You just have developers, you know, creating functional features that everything says, okay, next, except cancel. There's, there's right. no emotion to it. So do you think that that's possible? I love the PLG story stuff, but like a lot of people yeah. will push back. Well, Dave, you know, we sell to the enterprise or, you know, we're, we're really traditional B2B SaaS. Like, how do you answer that objection? No offense, but I'd say bullshit. <laughs> totally. So I spent like the first half of my career on B2C and I came over to B2B and I was like, whoa, a lot of the playbooks these companies are using are 30-year-old dusty, 
you know, strategies based around sending out press releases and kissing up to analysts and doing top-down selling and running field events. And I'm like, there is so much more advancements into like a modern marketing tech stack, the strategies. And to me, like PLG makes your life easier if you're in enterprise sales. I don't know if anybody's done sales. Yeah, a lot of people have listened to done sales, but I've done sales. It's hard when you have to go into a company that has never heard of you before and you're trying to sell top down and do a wall to wall deal, right? It is a lot easier when you already have a hundred people at a large company that have started using it. You've got a land and expand type motion. You can find the champions that are already using it there. You can get ROI proof points from your existing users. There are so many PLG type strategies where that's freemium, land and expand, seed and grow, making the product simpler. Like that's the number one reason, at least in my experience with like NPS surveys, why B2B SaaS gets recommended is because it's simple. Well, Mm -hmm. if you're doing a big enterprise deployment, it sure helps a lot if you don't need to throw 100 customer success people at it. Just the product is just simple and easy to use. So I think like PLG, you know, just my opinion, is a boon for enterprise type segments and the enterprise marketing and sales motion. To me, it's now table stakes. Like I'm not building products, so my job's yeah. not that hard. But it's like table stakes where if you're going to compete in those spaces, hey, how, do you, how are we going to compete to win in, in 2020 and beyond? Well, like you got to have some type of approach to that. Anyway, I don't want to go down PLG rat hole forever, but I, I love that. <laughs> it's a I'm, great rat hole. I like it. it. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm glad to hear you call bullshit on it and, and say like, because I think that's an actionable thing, which is like, if you're a marketer listening to this and there's a lot of B2B marketers listening, like don't just accept the answer from yeah. whoever, product engineering, oh, we can't do that. Well, hey, like what are we really trying to do as a company? How can this strategic narrative, yeah. you know, messaging is beyond just the product messaging. What's the company story and how do we match that? What's the modern experience that we want people to have with our stuff? Totally, Dave. And I'd even say, I think there's a lot of the old notions on enterprise software selling that we should be challenging. I mean, another big one for me that I've heard all throughout my career has been, oh, we're the enterprise segment. We can't have an emotional brand or we have to just dress in suits and talk really blandly and use acronyms and play it super conservative. And at every company I've been at, like as we moved up market, we kept a really vibrant brand. You know, it was visually fun. It was the actual tone and voice was different. And enterprises love that because at the end of the day, enterprises aren't enterprises. Enterprises are people. They're just people like me and you that are, you know, exploring new stuff to use and how can I help their team and how can I help their company? And everyone loves a brand that they have an emotional connection with. So I don't know. I just think, you know, as marketers, we do need to challenge some of those status quo decisions and, you know, don't be afraid to kind of propose a newer, more modern strategy. I couldn't agree more with that, especially on the enterprise Typically, an enterprise is a lot more outbound, ABM, yeah, right? Yeah, A good brand is going to make knocking on those doors a whole lot easier. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with companies where they're like, hey, we're just selling it to enterprise. We've abandoned the SMB segments. Oh, we can't do freemium. We can't do any of these things. And then they're like, oh, and no one knows about us. <laughs> and by the way, our deal cycles are really long and they're really hard. <laughs> and it's like, if you kind of open it up to these different strategies, I mean, maybe go after SMBs not to make money, but just because there's a ton of them, right? And there's a ton of people that will talk and recommend you. And that's something we did at Slack. Like we loved SMBs. Even if the ones that didn't pay us, that was fine because guess what? They're a subsidized marketing vehicle that's out there recommending you and you're getting these incredible leads coming in off of word of mouth. So I think you just need to you know, reinvent and re-explore a lot of these older topics. Mm-hmm. You were basically running marketing at three companies everybody's heard of, Slack, Zendesk, and Salesforce. How have you set up, what's your go-to team setup? You have a kind of playbook for how you do that? 
I felt I was really lucky to go into both Zendesk and Slack because I came in literally as marketer number one. And I was able to kind of, for the most part, build that team out from scratch. And again, I liked it because I, I want to bring a more modern playbook and not be kind of shackled to just kind of older organizational designs. And so actually, Tomas Tungus wrote up an article on it. Like I did a whole speech just on like building a marketing org out. So for anyone that's listening, if you want to search on that, just search for Bulmasidis Tomas Tungus over at Redpoint. But, you know, for me, the biggest teams I like to build out, I always start with ops and analytics first. You know, I just think at the end of the day, marketing is all about spending people time and dollar time and you want to understand if it's working or not. So having solid multi-touch attribution modeling, have it solid predictive lead scoring, you know, multivariate testing, all that type of tech stack and analytics, I think is the most foundational elements. I'll start with there. I build out PMM second, so product marketing, just because I feel like that's a lot they're in charge of the messaging, the narrative. That's such a foundational element that you use in so many either marketing assets, website, different areas. They'll do pricing and packaging. From there, I build a content teams. I love content, like really authentic, helpful, valuable content. I built Lifecycle Nurture after that. That to me is like, if you have this great repository of content, how do you then apply it and give it to these different personas? At what point in their life cycle, under what channels? And finally, campaigns is the last one, at least in those initial teams. To me, that's a lot of your paid marketing that's going out, finding net new users, getting new segments of verticals. There's a bunch of other teams like over time, evangelism, PR, growth, delight, events, international. But those five are generally the first ones that I tend to build out. Are those actual team names or like those are marketing functions like nurture is a team, campaigns is a team? This is a longer roadmap, right? So this is when your marketing team is going from, you know, five to 10 to 30 to 50 people. Eventually, I like to have a team for each one of those. Every company is going to be different, right? And how you structure these and how many reports you have going into the CMO. I mean, I, I usually think like eight is the max, you know, as far as direct reports coming in, but I do like a flatter structure. Do you have a centralized demand gen team or is that kind of through campaigns? I'm talking to Bill Macedis on the B2B Marketing Leaders podcast <laughs> and you do not have demand gen in B2B. Explain that. I think demand gen is a horrible term because I think demand gen implies that within a marketing group, only one team is responsible for generating demand. And, Ooh, and I just, you know, I, I love I don't this think take. Go, 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 yeah, go. Yeah, I, I don't think it's relevant. I think every single team is about creating demand. Every single team is about creating awareness. Every single team is thinking about that experience. And so, you know, too often I just see it like one small team is given demand gen, you know, they're responsible for leads. And and if you look at it, most leads are actually coming off a of word of mouth. So it's even a bad metric for that team. I just don't think it fundamentally makes sense. So for me, like I like campaigns where you actually say, hey, we're going to run campaigns. These are outbound campaigns. These might be campaigns for existing users. And yes, that is a tool that's going to help increase our funnel metrics, our MQLs, our leads, our pipe. But those are also going to help us improve our awareness metrics, our aided recall, our unaided recall, sentiment, sure voice, sure conversation. They're also going to help improve our NPS, you know, and our sentiment. It's just the dimension, I think, is a very loaded term. And it implies that one team is responsible for overall lead generation. And I just, in my experience, I've never found that to be the case. I got to tell you something. This might be the best take we've had on this podcast so far. I love it because this is a, this is a real problem. What, what you talked about, I've seen this happen at a bunch of different companies, which is demand gen feels like all of the pressure of marketing is on them. 
because yeah. they're the one that owns the number. Everybody's just telling them, hey, we got to do this, we got to do this. Why is our number? Like, they're the only ones presenting results to the company. I love the idea of organizing the team around campaigns and putting those functions in there. So, is campaigns basically the team that owns growing incrementally, where you might have whatever's going to come to the website, however many leads you're going to generate every single month is going to happen on its own. Campaigns is like, oh, wow, this month we got to grow 10%. And that means we're going to have to do these three things. You know, the way I've looked at campaigns, Dave, is you basically say like, hey, they're the people in charge of these paid acquisition channels, right? So that might be a Facebook mobile video ad. That might be, you know, a podcast sponsorship. That might be an ad in traditional print economist. But if you think about it, like a playbook we did to Zendus was the content team was creating tons of super helpful, valuable content. And we would go, hey, we're actually going to use our content in ads, right? So that like we'd literally make medrecs of our best performing pieces of content. And then we'd also think of then, hey, the lifecycle nurture team, once these people come in, how are we going to serve them additional content, right? And what type of pricing and packaging is going to come from the PMM team that's going to help them move through? And the ops analytics team, if anybody spent time, you know, if you're a good marketer, you've got to dive in the multi-touch attribution modeling. There's just, what you'll find is people do not just see one thing and click on it. They see 5, 10, 20, 30 interactions sometimes before they become a lead. And then you might have another 30 interactions before you actually buy the product. Well, how are you supposed to then give all the credits to the first or the last thing or just say it's the campaigns that are driving that? You know, the events are going to make a big impact on that. The content, the PR, their experience going through the trial. I just think it's, you know, when you look at a longer holistic journey of a B2B buyer, you can't just say that, hey, it's this one team that's driving all of that. I just think holistically, it's all of marketing. And even beyond that, if you really dive into product-led growth, you realize it's not just marketing that drives growth. It's all these different teams. It's product, it's success, it's support. It's just a more different holistic vision of it. Okay, so, so in that model, you have ops... How do all those teams meet and like come up with campaign planning? Because like campaigns team does yeah. the campaigns, but you're going to need messaging from product marketing. Yeah, you need sure. content from content. So like, I, how do all those teams work together? Is it ops says like, here's the goal for the month, and here's what we got to do? No, Salesforce. I thought Mark did it better than anyone, and that they had this methodology. They called it V2 Mom, but it basically was just, hey, these are the top ten most important goals for the company, right? So he might say, hey. I want to get the service cloud up to 40% market share. I want to get into Japan this year. And then we'll take those top-level goals and marketing go, hey, how can we help support them? And so I will come up as a CMO and I'll go, here's the top 10 strategies we're going to do. And then, hey, teams work together to help achieve those. What I find what happens in marketing is if you do too much bottoms up, the teams become very siloed. Like the campaigns team just does stuff that the campaigns team can control. And the content team just does stuff that they can control. And so I like more projects that multiple marketing teams need to work on together to move forward. And even beyond that, again, in product-like growth, you're actually saying marketing teams are working with the product teams and are working with the sales team on projects in the software itself to help growth, to reduce churn, to make the product simpler, to make the product more fun. And that's why, like, I know this is down the road, but I like more shared metrics. I don't like these super individual metrics that tend to silo teams and just force them to only work on things that they can control. You're really messing me up because I'm going to have to go rethink. <laughs> like, I'm literally working on 2021, like, hiring plan and team structure and campaign planning. And I love the idea of setting that up. Okay. How do you set goals as, as a CMO? So you got each of those teams. You have a, a framework that you use. Like, some people use OKRs. What, what do you do and how does it roll out to those individuals and teams? 
OKRs are great. I've used those. Again, I've used the Salesforce process, which is V2Mom. You can look it up or if anyone listening wants to learn a little more about that. But, you know, philosophically, like I said, I lean it a couple of ways. One, I lean towards more than one marketing goal of just leads or MQLs, right? I think marketing has much more impact and is much more broad. So I look at the funnel metrics. I'm looking at our awareness metrics. So I mentioned those before, aided recall and aided recall, sure voice, sure conversation. So Wait, can we pause on that for a second? Yeah, yeah, sure. What's the right stage of company to be doing that stuff? Is it easy to do? Is it expensive easy to, to do. do? It is? Say so more. Easy. So it used to be really expensive, especially the awareness type stuff. You would go and you'd have to hire people to literally stand at airports and find you know, the right people and ask them. Oh, super weight. Just go to SurveyMonkey. They have a 30 million panel. You can choose your target audience. You can choose your geo. And the idea is you run a survey, right? So at Slack, we started doing it really early because I wanted to find out what was our awareness metrics before we started applying any marketing juice. Basically, what you do is you'll send out a survey to a set amount of people and you'll go for Slack, for instance. The unaided question would be, what team communication software tools are you aware of? That's unaided. You don't give any hints. And then the follow-up one, it goes, hey, of the following team communication software tools, you know, which ones are you aware of? So you'll list like, you know, HipChat and Slack and Yammer, et cetera. Down the road, there are teams. And then you can go, okay, if you did say Microsoft Teams, ask a sentiment question. So, hey, when you've used Microsoft Teams, like what is your perception of them? Extremely favorable, extremely unfavorable. The cool thing that is, A, it's cheap. It's like, you know, a couple grand per survey. B, you get metrics not just on your awareness, you get metrics on your competitors' awareness. It allows you then to think about these campaigns more holistically. So as opposed to just purely going down the lead gen rat hole, you can now run these campaigns and go, oh, wow, I noticed we got a lift in awareness. Like we got a two-point lift when I ran this campaign. And you can start goal setting along those awareness-based metrics and not just you know 100% on leads, which I find like 90% of marketing teams, like that's just where they've you know been metriced and where they've stayed in. So if you do that, like let's say I said, hey, Bill, I want to go do this. I do it and that gives me an initial baseline and yeah. then I would set goals on it for next year? Yeah. For instance, the Slack, we said like, we might have said, hey, we have a 7% aided awareness and we know we're naturally growing. Like we know we'll hit like 15% awareness by the end of the fiscal year. But what would it take to get us to 25% awareness? Uh, 7% of what? Of the audience that you choose in SurveyMonkey? Uh, yeah, so the, the aided awareness methodology is, you're basically saying, hey, if you asked 100 people, how many people actually said they know of Slack? Like when it was listed, they go, I know of them. So that's just saying seven out of 100 people know of Slack as a team communication software tool. For instance, when we run these, we'd also include things like, Gmail and Outlook, because ultimately we thought like those were our biggest competitors. It was just email, people using email for comms. And they were at like 95%, right? <laughs> so really like from a long-term perspective, we were like, how do we get from like 7% up to 95%? And yeah, we're naturally trending there, but we might take 10 years to get there. Like how can we help accelerate that faster? And so marketing will play a part in that, right? And you can run you know, very specific geo-based tests. You can run campaigns in individual cities and measure the pre and post lift, both on pipeline, both on awareness. And you can make that much more of an actionable item. As opposed to, again, because a lot of these branding campaigns end up just being, oh, I like it, or do you like it, or does the CEO like it? And it's not really measured. And I would argue that, hey, these are very quantifiable. And if you can get that, then you can get the support of the rest of the exec staff who might be a little leery on it. You can get the support of the board as well and show them, hey, we're spending these dollars efficiently and we're deploying that capital in a way that's going to allow us to grow and scale for the long run. This is awesome. This is actually the really tactical thing that I've heard come up at a lot of companies that I've never asked how to do it. Because I think 
you can also then make the case because a lot of people will ask about I'm a big advocate of brand like you are and, and podcasts and creative and they'll say like how do I make the case for ROI on the podcast for example and so one could be if you do this you know brand awareness study you could do it a year later after the podcast yeah. and say holy cow this thing grew you know five points because we launched a blog we launched it's kind of like it's a totally. little bit back of the napkin but you can tell that you're growing awareness I think it's a really simple quick and dirty thing we did at Slack was we just we had an optional sign-up survey. You get like 50 credits if you filled it out. And it just said, hey, where'd you hear about us? <laughs> Did you hear about us on this podcast? Yeah. Did you hear about yeah. us you know, on this billboard? Or yeah. was it a word of mouth or this piece of content? That's an easy one. You can do very geo-based. So a lot of these campaigns, like we would run, let's say we do a YouTube homepage takeover, but we would just do that YouTube homepage takeover in maybe three cities. And then we would say, hey, here are three other cities that are similar to those cities. Those are the control group, Right. And then let's run these and go, hey, we want brand awareness. Most of say you have to have about 30 impressions before you achieve active recall. So we go into the cities and go, hey, we're going to hit our target audience at least 30 times. And then we're going to measure the lift in awareness against the control group that didn't get it at all. And also, by the way, that's really easy to measure your pipeline lift too. Like don't run your digital campaign so broad. Like run them in very geo-based manners because then it's really easy to set up control groups and see the lift and it's easy to get back to attribution, right? Because attribution is tricky. Even like the best multi-touch attribution has difficulty with online versus offline, mobile versus desktop. But if you do it in a geo-based way, it's a really easy way to prove like quantifiably that you are definitely moving the needle on your campaigns. Can you go back to that example of the YouTube yeah. thing? Like you mentioned, you mentioned showing it 30 times. Yeah. You're running ads and then yep. you're measuring the response of a group that you showed it to 30 times or showed it to zero times? Yeah. So here's the idea. Like a lot of people will come in and they'll say, ah, like I work with clients. I'm like, you know, what should our marketing budget be? (laughs) You know, we're going to run a campaign. Like how big should we be or how how much should we spend? And so what I always say is like, hey, start with a city, right? And go, hey, how many people in our target audience live in this city? Okay. So that's your number. And then you go, hey, we know we have to hit these people 30 times. You know, they have to see our ads 30 times because that's how much it usually takes to achieve active recall. And then you go, okay, well, what channel are we using? You know, are we using billboards? Are we using YouTube whole page takeover? They each have their different CPMs. And then you can calculate out pretty easy. Like, hey, this is the budget that we need. And so what I do then is we'll run that campaign in that city and we'll say, hey, Seattle versus Denver, right? You know, pretty similar cities. We're going to say Seattle had this many leads before we ran the campaign. Denver had this many leads. Denver's the control group. They aren't going to get any you know, we'll run them in Seattle. And all of a sudden, Seattle sees a 30% increase in leads. Denver only saw 10% because they didn't get anything. That was just the natural organic growth. Well, then you can say, hey, that 20-point delta, we can attribute that to the campaign. And even mm. when you start running national campaigns, like we did at Slack for the US, we would go, okay, well, the rest of the world is our control group. They're not going to get that campaign. And we're going to measure what is the lift in funnel-based metrics, leads, pipe, SALs, SQOs, all that stuff. And what is the lift in awareness-based metrics? You're a scientist. This is like, <laughs> do you have any channels that are not measurable? If I said, if I'm on your team, I'm like, Bill, I think we should launch a podcast. It just feels right. We're going to go do it. And my goal is to get 10,000 downloads this year. Would you like that or no? I think almost all the channels are measurable. You just have to be a little bit creative on, on how you do it, how you go about it. I mean, the thing about me is like, I hate politics. When you have a void of metrics, politics fills in. And I think some of this, to be honest, that's where marketing gets a bad rap because they're like, oh, they're just smooth talkers. They're just saying, oh, we can do this, but we're not going to measure anything. And so if you can measure your lift and you can get beyond just the pure leads and extend it into 
awareness, or again, I'm a big believer in experience, right? I want to measure net promoter score. I want to measure CSAT. I want to measure time to value, right? Like if you can get to there and you can measure it, then you take the politics out of the room. It's not just the hippo that's making the calls, the highest paid opinion in the room. It's based on data, right? And that's why I love like multivariate testing, right? Salesforce, before I came, there was no infrastructure for testing. So we would get in these massive debates. What should be on the homepage? And what should the headline (laughs) be? And what should the hero image be? Well, I like this or I like this, right? And it was always decided in some corner office. And then I was like, guys, as opposed to us debating what our users will like the best, let's just test it, right? Right. (laughs) Let's run four different versions. And oh, wow, that took a lot of the politics out of the room. So that's why I'm a strong believer in it. How do the individuals on those teams set quantifiable goals in your world? I'm a big believer of leadership style. Like, hey, here's our top goals. Here's the strategy. Here's the backend metrics. Now you think about like how you're going to tackle it, right? Like what are the specific tactics you're going to use? How are you going to go about it? And you work with them, you know, mentor them and help them out. But I don't like micromanaging to that level. I like more saying like, hey, here's a top level goal. And here's the metrics we need to move. But, you know, you're the domain expert. You know, you know this, you know, you were hired because you, you know this really well, right? And let's work together to figure out how we can do that. So that's generally the methodology I like, you know, empower the people to figure out what are the strategies and the tactics behind it, but let them understand what is the overall goal that we're trying to achieve. And like, for example, they might even say, hey, we want to improve our market share in Japan you know, to 40% for this product line, right? Like, okay, go, right? Like from a content perspective, how are you going to think about that? And there are metrics you can do to track content too, you know, and you can figure that on your multi-touch attribution modeling. But it's kind of why, like, again, like a lot of stuff too, as much as I love it, like I think you have to have a really solid ops and analytics team that can help these teams measure and can think of different ways so that they can make sure that, you know, the hard work they're doing is being accurately recorded for the overall goals. It's like a balance, right? It's almost like the balance of creators where you want to have a structure where like as a marketer, if you're a campaigns person, right, you should be spending your time creating campaigns, right? Not yeah. you know, not tracking every little thing, but yeah. then you if you get paired with an ops person who loves that, that's the yeah. dream team is like you have some so my guess is from the way that you've talked about these things, it seems like you've had a strong I don't know if it's right hand or counterpart or, or team at all of those companies, you know, who has been that, you don't have to say the name of the person, but like, what's that role been to you as a marketing leader? Like, who has that typically been? Yeah, I, I think so. I've been like, I've worked with one person in multiple companies that has filled that role. I do think though, you know, everyone's different. You have to find someone that's kind of passionate about that. And then I like running marketing a little bit more like as an agile scrum. So you set your goals, you run your two-week sprints. The idea behind an agile team is it's a team. It's not like, you know, every single team in marketing has their siloed own individual goals. It's like, no, we have this larger goals in marketing that we're trying to achieve and we need to work together. And as part of that little scrum, you're going to have an analytics person that's going to be there to help you know, set the metrics, you know, run the reports, do the research. You're going to have a creative person there that can infuse it in. You're going to have a PMM person there to help with the messaging and the narrative, maybe the pricing and packaging. You're going to have a campaigns person that's great at leveraging, you know, mobile, Facebook bumper ads. You know, those, those groups tend to be hired out based off domain expertise. And so, you know, without much structure, it's easy to have those teams just all just kind of focus in on their own thing and only what they can control. But in my experience, you don't move the needle as much going that way. You're making me want to go into next year with a brand awareness goal in addition to like a hardcore, you know, trial demand gen goal. Yeah, I think you absolutely need demand gen. You absolutely need to move that needle there. But I think in some ways, 
if you can build that brand, it's really generating your long-term leads. And so if you can make that investment, and, and again, that doesn't have to just be through really expensive paid campaigns. I mean, find out what your three most used features are and go in there and just make them a little more fun. Make them a little more simpler. Infuse a funny tone and voice in it or make a little delight moment. So like for anybody that uses Carta, they do equity management. So your stock options, you log in and stuff. You can tell they actually had someone that went in there and when you get issued an award, you, mm-hmm. they do a little fireworks in the background. You know, it's something small, but it's just a little fun. You're like, oh, that's kind of cool. All right. Yeah, I just got my first grant or I'm, hey, I'm 50% vested. That's a really good example of, I think, someone in marketing or someone in design kind of embedded themselves into that process. And, you know, the more you can kind of, I think, build that brand, build that emotion, the more people are going to recommend you, the, the less they're going to churn, the bigger deal sizes you're going to have. So I think it's definitely marketing's interest to, you know, build that up through multiple different channels. You mentioned time to value. Yeah. How do you measure that? Is that a unique metric for each company? Like we've defined what our value, we want people to create a campaign within X and you measure that? I've seen different ways you can approach it. So one, you could literally just do, hey, how many clicks does it take before you get some value when you start using the product? I had done something where I was working with a company and I was using a weather app and they were launching a new weather app and they asked for my feedback on it. I went in and the registration was like 27 steps. And I'm kind of a weather nerd. <laughs> I have like my own little weather station and stuff. And so uh, their whole thing was like super local weather, not just like generic weather for everybody. So of course, all I want to see was just show me the weather at like my house or my little geo zone, if you will. But it took like 27 steps to get there. And I was like, of course, I mean, come from my consumer side, I'm like, guys, this isn't going to work. You need to like really cut back the number of steps and clicks and just actions you have to take. So I think that's a good one. A lot of times in marketing, you kind of understand like, what is that aha moment? or What is that first moment of value? And you could either do number of clicks or you could kind of, you know, focus on control groups and see how much time does it take them before they get there. And, you know, that's that whole consumerization of enterprise theme. But, you know, a lot of times marketers are good at that. They're good at like conversion rate optimization and they're good at kind of removing friction and improving these pipelines. So if you can work, again, with some people in product or whatever it is, if you have a growth team or just marketing naturally works there and you can have some of these more harder metrics, it's just a lot easier to push those projects through. Would a lift in organic and direct traffic be a proxy for brand and word of mouth growing? Yeah, I think so. You'll see it in the word of mouth that comes in. That's why, again, you got to have invest the cycles. I, I like having multiple independent attribution sources that you can use to help identify Lyft. So that's a sign-up survey. That's these controlled geo groups. That's good multi-touch attribution software. Or just having the right metrics to move it through there. But I just think a lot of times B2B marketing, we just kind of default to the you know first, last touch that only captures one channel and everything gets kind of based on that, your marketing spend, your organizational resources. And I think it's very faulty. And once you understand that, and for instance, multi-touch education, you can move to, you know, any touch, AI, ML, regression analysis to understand what are those touches that are really moving the needles, you'll get a much more broader view. You need that. I have no AI, ML. I need, I need your ops person. If you send it this way, I'm sure you send that person something nice for the holidays. Every year. I do, I do. But I mean, there, there's there's good multi-touch attribution tech I out know, there. I know. You know, it is hard though. You know, it takes time to put that in. And the other reason why I do that first, Dave, the ops and analytics team, is because you're spending a lot of political capital. True. You're putting it on the most boring projects possible, 
like, hey, board, what are you going to do in marketing? You know, most people are like, I'm going to do this awesome campaign. And it's got bells and whistles. You're like, no, I'm going to put in really boring attribution software that's going to take a month and it's going to take some time to put that in there. And I'm going to lay all this other infrastructure around our analytics and our clickstream and, you know, X, Y, Z. That's all the boring stuff that no one wants to do. So, you know, you got to do it early while you well, still have Well, you got to do it early. I, I've learned that lesson though, like, you know, I've totally fallen for like the let's make a bunch of noise, let's do the crazy stuff. But then, you know, a year, a year and a half down the line, you're kicking yourself because now something that, you know, would have been relatively easy a year and a half ago is now time, people, debt, you know, priorities. It's hard to go back and then put it in after the fact. Totally. I want to pivot and talk a little bit about team and individuals. So like what kind of rhythms do you, you know, have you had or do you work with teams from a from a marketing leader perspective? Like do you do daily stand up? Do you meet weekly, monthly? Yeah. What's the cadence for a team? So I've worked with some teams where again we'll do the agile scrum type leadership and that'll be on a two week sprints and you'll have a product owner and you know your daily meeting there. I mean just as a leader, like I like to have weekly one on ones. I think that's really important. It's a way to deflect issues from kind of bubbling up. It's a way to understand what's going on within individual teams. I like to have a weekly staff meeting, a monthly all-marketing meeting. And then, of course, I like to have meetings for basically whatever the top 10 projects that are going through. So not always in those, but I want to get a summary of how they're going through. And then for some individual projects, I'll, I'll jump in and be an active contributor for it. Like what? Are you a copywriter? Are you going to write the video uh, script? So a are good you... one would be like, so for Cycling, we're creating our amazing Teams campaign. You know, that was something where we were creating like a 30-second video ad that we were going to run on national, both YouTube, TV, terrestrial. And I wanted to be really in that one. I didn't want to kind of see the script and then wait a month and I go, oh, I don't like this. Like, I want to be a part of every meeting that we're having with our ad agency and creative agency. And I want to be able to give them real-time feedback. In other ones, though, I might be like, you know, hey, we're creating this content marketing calendar, like, hey, I'll be part of the first meeting, but then, hey, why don't you go run a couple cycles and I'll kind of check back on that, how things are going. So I, I think, you know, it's nice thing about the prerogative of CMO, they can kind of dive into the projects that they think they either need to be in or they think they can be most helpful from. I'm going to put you on the spot with this one, but yeah, how do you articulate the difference between a director, a VP, and a CMO? Like if you're writing that down on career ladders, people want to know, what are the steps you know that takes to get from each to each one of those next steps? It's a great exercise to go through. I actually think we did that at Slack, and I have very long documents that literally goes through all the different you know responsibilities and the scope of work. I mean, to me in general, like one lens I look is like, do people look up to this person? You know, are they respected as a domain expert? You know, both inside the company and outside the company. That's a big one. You know, are they managing other people? Are they consistently hitting their targets? You know, are they creating new ideas? Have they created cross-functional partnerships? I found in marketing, you have a lot of ICs that are really good and they get promoted. And then when they get to that director or VP level, they just continue just to do the IC work. And I think at least in marketing, like you have to be good at selling the vision, you know, and doing roadshows to finance and sales and product on what marketing's up to and where they need help and the partnerships and they need to create support from the board and the executive team. And that's different than just kind of going there and doing the work. I I think a lot of marketing teams get killed that way. They just only focus on the work. No one knows what they're doing and, you know, a lot of discontent, you know, brews from that. So it's kind of a harder question, but I do think, you know, in general, the more scope, the more that you're making an impact, you know, you'll generally see it kind of move up from those ladders there. 
your doc at Slack, did you actually like, this is a checkbox, like good at doing internal roadshows, check. Yeah. Good at doing blank, check. And that's how you had constructive conversations with the team? Yeah, exactly. We literally write all these different lenses out. And by the way, they normally weren't anything specific like, hey, you're really great at SEM. I think the other things with career paths are, I'm an advocate at least of, you should have a career path for ICs and people managers. Right. So I, I think where a lot of teams get killed is the only way to move up is to become a people manager. And that's where you get a lot of bad people managers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so at Slack, we had, I think it was like IC1 to IC7. And you can be paid like crazy amounts and have tons of stock. If you were literally like the best domain expert at that specific function and, you know, but you just weren't a people manager and that's fine. And then we had another path for, for leaders. I think a lot of managers struggle to have that conversation with the teams, which is like, Hey, if you're a great, if you're an amazing copywriter, you don't have to become VP of creative here. You can be our badass copywriter and own all the words at Slack. Yeah. I see six. I mean, I thought, you know, we had a person in Slack that was amazing at our editorial tone of voice, you know, and I think it's so impacted our brand and that was fantastic. Look, you can get paid a lot more. You can get more options. You can, If you want to go down the people management path, that's fine. But you don't necessarily have to go there, right? You could just yeah. be the guardian of our tone and voice. And that yeah. means training every single person at Slack. That means, you know, creating the constructs, the rules, the guidelines. You know, it's such an important role. And I just don't like when people only have to get promoted based on how many people report to them. I think it's an antiquated concept. I agree with you. One of my things about working from home is like, I think, yes, there's value in being in the office and, and you know, doing the water cooler talk with people. But I, I actually have seen at companies that people who are like the schmoozers that are at the water talk seem to have the perception of like, oh, that person must be great at what they do because I always see them around talking to people. But it, you know, yeah. this, this format kind of really makes it about results first. I think it levels the playing field for that a little bit. Yeah, totally. The challenging thing about marketing, at least that I've struggled with, is like on the progression stuff, every job is so nuanced. It's not like sales, you know, sales, you can write a career progression. I've never done it. So some salespeople will say it's not easy. But like in marketing, your product marketing skill set is different than campaigns, is different than content. Do you have like, hey, these are the levels and then this is the expectations of a product marketer here? I think we broke it into, we had like an entry-level contributor, junior contributor, intermediate contributor, advanced contributor, senior contributor, all the way to director. That was just on the IC path. We wouldn't break it down on individuals or like individual functions. Because again, like for me, like the things we would look at are, you know, can you seamlessly present work at the executive level? You know, are you exceptionally skilled at developing and articulating strategies to support company goals, Right. You know, are you one of the top domain experts in your field? Can you scale multiple marketing functions from scratch, right? Like, it wasn't really specific. And that's why I kind of went with that SCM comment. It's, there's a part of it, which is that specific job, but there's also a larger part on just what we would expect as you went further up the ladder. And so, I, I mean, I guess you could do it. You could break it down to each individual function, but God, that's just a lot. There's just so many different marketing yeah. functions and I, I don't think I had enough time to do it. <laughs> Good. Okay, well, you just, you just liberated me then because that, that was my biggest roadblock. So now I, I don't have to do that. Okay, a couple of last wrap-up questions. Yeah. What are the biggest marketing challenges that still exist to you? So this is like dream bill. Like, What are the marketing challenges that you, that you haven't seen solved in the last 20 years that you still wish you could magically solve? I mean, it would be great if they just 
completely 100% solved attribution, but that'll never happen. <laughs> I mean, the biggest thing that I see now when I work with companies is just, you know, having companies realize that marketing is not just a discrete siloed function. And if you're going to embrace a more modern marketing growth strategy, you really need to embrace PLG product-like growth. And that's marketing getting into the product itself. And I still see way too many B2B SaaS organizations where marketing's role is just website and above. And I think like that's a big one that I, I think marketing in general, like if we can shift further into the product, like you're going to see much, much bigger results. That also matches the experience. People don't want to, you know, just become download your ebook and wait for a phone yeah. call. They want to use your product. I want to use yeah. it right now. Like I want to go in Canva and make a template right now. That's yeah. what I want to do. Get value, right? Yeah. yeah, totally. What's your recommended marketing tech stack today? I know there's a lot in there, but give me some of the favorite, you know, tools that your companies or people you work with are using today. Yeah, for me, there's at least three key areas that I like to build up. One is multi-touch attribution modeling. I think that's probably the most important one. There's obviously a lot of good tech in there. There's Convertro, there's Visual IQ, Google Attribution, Visible. But I'd say nail that one. Uh, predictive lead scoring is another really important one. I think for don't just use the out-of-the-box like Marketo or Eloqua score there. You know, you want to have something that is best to breed there. So that's really looking predictive lead scoring that can measure these leads as they come through. We've used Infer in the past, but again, there's other good ones there. And then I like multivariate testing, you know, just, you know, whether it's an Optimizely or there's a bunch of other tools out there, but just something, and you can get away from the politics of it. You can get to kind of a testing culture that's going to be more data-driven. If someone doesn't have multi-touch attribution today, why do they need it? Because you'll get killed in marketing if you don't have it, and you will devolve into politics and shiny, uh, fuzzy projects. Is that an internal budgeting resources thing, you mean? I mean, without attribution, you're just, you know, you're just tap dancing. You're trying to say, like, how everything you do moves the needle. And, and look, I'll take a step back. Not everyone needs multi-touch attribution modeling. That is, it's complex software. It does cost a lot, depending on the channels you use. There are much easier low-tech ways, like, how did you hear about us, or do very geo-based targeting techniques. Or if you do podcast advertising, just have them put in an offer code that they heard from you. There's different ways around Perfect. it, but I would just say investing in attribution is really important. Yeah, that's good. I was hoping that complex multi-touch wasn't going to be a requirement <laughs> for every company. No. I think what you're saying is you got to have attribution, like yeah. period. Yeah. You got okay. to be able to defend what marketing does and the investments yeah. that they make. Amen. All right. Hey, Bill, this was awesome. I wish I could talk to you forever, but uh, we can't. And that's okay. I think we gave, I think we will over deliver on the, on the ROI <laughs> of this podcast. So I appreciate you doing this. But I have one last question before we go. Yeah. You can only pick one other CMO that I could have on this podcast. Who would it be? Ooh, that is a great one. There's so many amazing ones out there. I really like Lauren Vaccarello. You know, I worked with her over at uh, Salesforce. I think she's fantastic. I'm just proud. There are so many hey, incredible CMOs that are going up through the ranks right now. Lauren, Lauren and I were scheduled last week and we had to cancel. So that's good. Oh. We're, in the, we're in the right ballpark. <laughs> she's incredible. Great person. And you can learn something from her too. Awesome. Bill, I appreciate it. You're awesome. We will stay in touch. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of B2B Marketing Leaders. Leave a review. Don't leave a review for me. Leave a review for Bill. Bill, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Dave. Really Bye. enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this content, I have a whole lot more where that came from. It's in my private marketing group called DGMG. There's almost 2,000 members in there. 80% of them are B2B marketers. And it's been an amazing community that we launched over a year ago. Uh, I've already posted over 400 different types of content in there, articles, videos, blogs, podcasts. You can go and check it all out. 
patreon.com slash Dave Gerhardt. It's an amazing place to be. Plus, I do exclusive AMAs with these podcast guests in our group, and it's the only place I post the full transcript and show notes, so you might want to go check it out, patreon.com slash Dave Gerhardt. I also want to give a shout out and a thank you to our friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing at usehatch.fm. It's awesome. They're helping me with the show. It's why it sounds so great. And you should go and check it out too. See you on the next episode.